Bismillah, Bismillah, Alhamdulillah, Salatu Salam ala Rasulillah. So today, inshallah, we're continuing with hadith number 22. And this hadith is reported by Jabir ibn Abdullah, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, in which he says, Anna rajulan sa'ala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam faqal, Ara'ayta idha sallaytu as-salati al-maktubati, wa sumtu Ramadan, wa ahlaltu al-halal, wa harramtu al-haram, wa lam azid ala thalika shay'an. So, this is a hadith mentioned in Sahih Muslim and many other uh, different books of hadith. And so it is authentic narration in which the Prophet ﷺ says, excuse me, Jabir ibn Abdullah, which is one of the most uh, uh, you know, prolific narrators from the Prophet ﷺ. He has, he has narrated many, many hadith. And he reports that a man once came to the Prophet ﷺ and said, do you see that, or do you think that, if I pray my obligatory prayers, referring to the five daily prayers, and I fast the month of Ramadan, and I make that which is halal halal, ahlantul halal, wa haramtul haram, and I make that which is haram haram, and I don't increase anything in that, I don't do anything more than that, will I enter paradise? And the Prophet responds, naam, yes. And then so he responds and says, قال, Wallahi, I swear by God, I swear by Allah, la azidu ala shay'a, then I will not increase in that, I won't increase to that anything at all. I won't increase in any way whatsoever beyond that. So this is a very, very interesting hadith. Why? Because it's letting us understand the, the basis, you know, the bare minimum, if you will. And so the first thing that we need to comment upon is the question, why weren't hajj and zakah mentioned? I'd like to know, does anybody have any theories? <laughs> Does anybody have any theories as to why is it that? Because, I mean, obviously, if, you, if, the, if, the, if the quote is talking about what? Making, uh, specifically mentioning salah, we understand that, and then fasting Ramadan, but then you're thinking, hold on, shahada, well, this guy already does the shahada, that's very obvious, he's, you know, uh, you know recognizing the Prophet ﷺ, he is obviously a Muslim, even in the salah, you make the shahada, so that's, that's, that's understood. But then in addition to that, you have, okay, salah, and you have siyam, but then you have also, what, zakah and hajj left. So of the five pillars, these two say, oh, tafadali shaykh. Jameel. So there's a few opinions about this. That's one of them, definitely. So one opinion is that Hajj and Zakah, they only apply to specific people. So Zakah, you only pay once you're above the Nisab level, right? Uh, once you are, you are earning a certain amount. And so perhaps for this specific Sahabi, he wasn't earning that amount. So he himself wasn't eligible to be giving zakat to begin with. So it wasn't obligatory upon him. That's one opinion. And also hajj, you, can only, you only make hajj if you are able to make hajj, if you have the means to do so, if you have the wealth to do so. And so uh, it's very reasonable to say, maybe uh, you know, he simply does not have the means to do so. However, this hadith is quite interesting because it seems that this sahabi that was asking the question, later on we find out that this sahabi died on the battle of Uhud. And if he died in the battle of Uhud, then that implies that hajj was not made obligatory yet. Because they couldn't make hajj, right? The kuffar were, had, had, had uh, you know, had control over the Kaaba. And so as a result of that, you get the impression that subhanAllah, perhaps it's a combination of both. Perhaps when it comes to the issue of zakah, he couldn't pay because I didn't have enough wealth. And when it comes to hajj, it wasn't an obligation yet anyhow, so he wasn't asking about that. Whatever the case may be, and Allah knows best. So then the question is, then it says, وَأَحْلَلْتُ الْحَلَالِ وَحَرَّمْتُ الْحَرَامِ That I treat... This is the way it's perhaps best translated. I treat everything that is lawful as lawful. I make it permissible in my mind and in my behavior. And according to the sharia. 
And when it comes to haramtul haram, that means I forbid myself and I deny myself that which is forbidden. Now, obviously this implies what? To treat the lawful as permissible <clears throat> doesn't mean that you do everything that is permissible because you can't do everything that is permissible. Like you can't stand in every place that is halal to stand, take a whole too many lifetimes. You can't do every possible activity that there is to do, etc. What the idea is that in my mind I make the, the assertion and the belief that these things are permissible and therefore I allow myself to do them and when it comes to the prohibited things, I abstain from them. This is very similar to the ayah in which Allah Ta'ala mentions in Surah Al-Baqarah That's very interesting. Allah says those who have been given the book, they recite it with its, the, 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 its true recital or could mean with the recitation that it deserves. That's another way of describing it. And then when you ask the question, what does it mean reciting with a true recital? What does it mean to say that you recite it in a way that it deserves to be recited? What does that imply? You find that there are various sahaba who commented on this. So you find Ibn Mas'ud and Ibn Abbas, they both say that recite it as it should be recited means what? That to permit what is permitted, to forbid what is forbidden, and do not distort wala and do not distort things from their proper implications. In other words, don't mess with the meanings and the implications of this uh, of these words. So, subhanAllah, you find that this, this concept is very well uh, established in the Quran as well as in, here in this hadith. Now, this is what's interesting. He says, And I won't increase upon that in any bit whatsoever. And then he says, Will I enter paradise? And, and the Prophet says, Yes. And he says, Wallahi, I swear by Allah, then I will not do anything more than that. I will not add to that at all. Now, here's the question. Why did he say the words, I won't add to that? So, there's commentary on this. There's different opinions on this matter. One of them that seems quite convincing is that Al-Ubay, he says that perhaps that this was a person who was new to Islam. And so, the reason this explanation makes a lot of sense is because when somebody is a recent convert, they're saying, they're kind of looking at it things like from a very uh, cautious perspective. Like, how much are you guys expecting me to do here? Like, how much, how much am I required to do? Okay, fine, I'll do that much, but no more, right? And so there is that attitude of just going by the basics. And that's fair, because you're still just trying to understand the religion, and you're still trying to work out the basics, etc. And the reason why this is such an important point to make note of is because we know that the standard, when it came to the Sahaba, that they would always try to strive for the best. They would never say, they would, you, you, you don't find this as a common thing. You don't find that this is their theme or this is their attitude. How can I do the minimum? What's the very least? I'm aiming, I'm aiming for the 60%. Not 61, just 60. Tell me what I got to do to hit the 60%, right? Like you don't find that this was the common uh, uh, practice of the Sahaba. You find rather they were always asking, what can I do to please Allah? What can I do to, be, uh, uh, to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How can I be a better believer? What is the greatest deed, Ya Rasulullah? There's so many hadith like this. What is the best thing that a person could do? How can I get the highest place in Jannah? What? How can I be your companion in paradise? SubhanAllah, they had this attitude of striving for the best. So it's fair to assume that this particular Sahabi was somebody who had recently embraced Islam, and therefore he was uh, you know, saying, okay, what's the bare minimum here? He's just trying to figure that out. Another opinion is this. Considering the fact that we know that this particular Sahabi actually died in the Battle of Uhud, implies that perhaps he was a warrior. And similar to, let's say, Khalid bin Walid, who was very much focused entirely on war. Khalid bin Walid was not somebody who was, let's say, trying to focus so much on fiqh and, and, and hivs and, uh, you know, uh, you know da'wah and all these things. I mean, da'wah, jihad is a form of da'wah anyway. But anyway, but the point is that these weren't necessarily his fields. His field was what? I'm a warrior, right? 
So you could imagine that this guy, similar to that sort of personality, because I'm sure there are many people that have this type of personality, that look, listen, my focus is battle. My focus is warfare. So I'm going to try to uh, support Islam in the, in the way that I know how. All of us have our own skill sets. I know what my skill set is. So let me know what are the bare minimums that I need to do so that I'm okay with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with regards to the various fara'id, the various obligations. Once those are solid, then I'm going to excel in my particular category. And by the way, this is true for all of us. I mean, not everybody has to be a faqih. Not everybody can be a mufassir. Not everybody can be, you know, uh, an alim. Not everybody can be necessarily a hafiz, even though it would be nice if everybody was. But the point is that, uh, uh, you know, these, these aren't necessarily going to be for everybody. And so that's okay. As long as you ask yourself, okay, what are the bare minimum? What's the bare minimum here? What are the necessities? And once you have covered your bases and you say to yourself, well, I want to be the absolute best accountant I can be. I want to uh, do my work with Ihsan and I want to actually support the masjid in the way that I can from, my, from well, you know, whatever I gain. And in addition to that, I want to help the masjid out with their finances, let's say, right? So me being excellent in accounting, let's say, just as an example, could be something that is so necessary for this community, right? It doesn't make sense to say that, oh, we're going to have a community of just ulama. Okay, well, who's going to fix the pipe if it bursts, right? You get my point? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? And so on and so forth, right? You need to have diversity. And so subhanAllah, it's possibly the case that this particular sahabi was saying, listen, my particular forte is battle. I'm I'm not mentioning that, but I know that of, of myself. So I need to know, what must I get done? And so subhanAllah, I think this is a great attitude that many of us need to ask ourselves. What is my passion? Are you a history buff? Do you love chemistry? You know, what is it that you are extremely passionate about? Figure out how you can practice your deen to a sufficient extent so that you are covering your bases and then make whatever your job is, fi sabilillah. Make whatever your job is, make sure that it's halal, make sure that it benefits yourself and your family and the ummah. Make sure it's something that you're passionate about, something you're good at. And then subhanAllah, all of that, all the risk that comes through that, inshallah ta'ala, it is ibadah. It is worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this, uh, you know, who knows, maybe you'll elevate yourself higher and way above those who uh, you would consider to be great scholars. And this is something that subhanAllah, you know, uh, it needs to be constantly, we need to remind ourselves of constantly, that just because one person is sitting and giving the talk and other people are sitting and listening, doesn't mean that their station with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is such that this person is at the top spot and everybody else is lower. This is a horrible attitude. This is the wrong attitude. It could be that the person sitting and giving the talk, okay, he knows a few things, good for him, he read a book, anybody can read that book. But is his heart connected the way your heart is connected? Allahu Adam. There's no, there's, no, there's, no, there's no proof of that. We can't, we can't claim anything. Is this person as sincere? Is this person as hardworking? Has this person made as, much, as many sacrifices? Allahu A'lam. Nobody has any idea. So this is what needs to be kept in mind. Now, um, the question is, are vol- voluntary, de- voluntary deeds necessary to enter paradise? And the answer is, well, no. Based on this hadith, he's saying, I'm not going to do any voluntary deeds. And the whole word voluntary implies that it's not necessary. If you... If, they were necessary to enter paradise, then they would be necessary. So I hope everybody sees the logic there. However, there is an important caveat to this point. When it comes to nawafil, or extra deeds, we have to keep in mind that they are necessary to make up for whatever you've missed in, whatever you're, you have shortcomings in. Now this man, he said, if I do all these obligations perfectly, and he said the word, إِذَا, if I can do this, إِذَا صَلَّيْتُ uh, you know, if I pray the prayers like perfectly, and if I fast my Ramadan perfectly. But the reality is that this is a very big if. And so the Prophet is saying, yes, theoretically, if you could do all your obligations 100% perfectly, then you would be completely not in need of any of the, uh, you know, uh, supererogatory or, or extra worship. But the fact of the matter is, 
what? That all of us are going to fall short in our obligations. And we know that when you fall short in your obligations, they are made up for, or they are fixed, you could say, by that which is done extra. Uh, and this is, we know from the Prophet ﷺ, he says, uh, that the first thing about, uh, uh, from which the people will be called to account is, on Judgment Day is their prayer. The very first thing you're going to be asked about is your prayers. And then Allah subhanahu wa will declare to his angels, even though he knows even better, Look into the prayer of my slave. The first thing, look into the prayer of my slave, whether he completed it or whether there is deficiencies in it, or whether he did, it, did so deficiently. If it was a complete, كُتِبَتْ لَهُ تَامَّةً If it was complete, then it will be written as complete. وَإِن كَانَ إِنْ تَقَصَ مِنْهَا شَيْئًا However, if it was deficient, قَالَ أُنْظُرْ هَلْ لِعَبْدِي مِنْ تَطَوْعٍ If there's a deficiency, then Allah Ta'ala will instruct the angels, look into my slaves, into my slave and see if he has done extra worship. See his extra. And, and what then? فَإِن كَانَ لَهُ تَطَوْعٌ قَالَ أَتِمُّ لِعَبْدِي فَرِيضَتُهُ فَرِيضَتَهُ مِنْ تَطَوْعِهِ ثُمَّ تُؤْخَذُ أَعْمَالُ عَلَى ذَاكُمْ That, then, the, then Allah Ta'ala says what? That, then if, then compensate the obligatory prayers by the optional prayers for my servant, then all of his actions will be considered similar. So subhanAllah, this hadith is very important. It's in Sunan Abi Dawood and it's found in other places. That subhanAllah, the Prophet ﷺ is teaching us what? That on judgment day, the very first thing is checked is salah. If it is deficient, then subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say, see if he's done extra prayers. Maybe he can catch up. Maybe this can be grabbed and put in its place. And then inshallah ta'ala, it will be filled up. If it gets filled up, then everything else will be judged according to that sort of completion. In other words, everything else will be looked at in that favorable way. Why? This is what you owe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we know subhanAllah, that the Prophet ﷺ, when he went on Isra wal Mi'raj, this is the one command, the one command that instead of coming from above the heavens down to the Prophet ﷺ, he had to go up to get that command. I mean, think about just the significance of that. We're not even talking about the command itself. We're just talking about the way it's delivered. The delivery was not what? It's just going to come down like everything else. No, no, this is different. This doesn't come down to you. This is too big. This is too heavy. You go up to get the command. Through the seven heavens. SubhanAllah. This is what Isra wal Mi'raj is about. Which goes to show the weight of salah. Just on the outset. Then SubhanAllah. The Prophet ﷺ, what? Receives the command, 50 prayers a day. And then finally, we know the story with Musa ﷺ. He says, your ummah will not be able to complete that. And they go back forth, back forth, until finally it gets down to five prayers a day. And even Musa ﷺ says, what? And your ummah will not be able, to com- be, com- be able to complete that. And he said, I can't go lower than that. And subhanAllah, Musa ﷺ was absolutely right. Why? Because he had experience with Bani Israel. He knew exactly what he was dealing with. He's like, listen, they won't be able to, ha- they won't be able to handle five prayers a day. How many from amongst the ummah can't handle five prayers a day? SubhanAllah. So this is so, uh, such a, a powerful reality and a gut check that Musa alayhi salam is like, I know people. <laughs> I know, I know what they can handle. I know what, I know what their limits are. And people are weak, unfortunately. And so subhanAllah, Allah Ta'ala declares what? That these five, these five prayers will be still equivalent to 50. SubhanAllah, think about doing 50 prayers a day, how it would take up your entire day. You would just be, that's it, you'd just be a, a life of worship. You'd be like in your mihrab all the time, just st- sitting and just doing your prayers all the time. And so subhanAllah, what a ni'mah that Allah Ta'ala says, just do these five, and it's going to be as if you are living the life of a worshiper, of a pure abid, subhanAllah. So yes, this also hadith is very powerful because it's teaching us a very, very important lesson. And this hadith is quick, I'm going to keep it quick inshallah Ta'ala. Um, 
because you know I, I don't want to go too long on this one. It's a shorter hadith anyhow. But there's a few points that really need to be paid attention to. Number one is what? Speak to people at their level. Speak to people at their level. Because the Prophet didn't say, yes, but you should do this and this and this and this and this. I mean, obviously we know that the Prophet could have said that. He could have said, yes, that is sufficient. But let me give it, go into a lot of detail. Whatever the case may be, it seems that the Prophet understood that this guy, this was his capacity. He's saying, what is the minimum I have to do? Is this enough? Yes. That was the end of the answer. Perhaps this person, I don't know, had a short temper. Perhaps this person had, you know, uh, was a very impatient person. Maybe putting too much extras and a bunch of caveats and by the way, and you should probably work on this too and you should, you know, increase in that too. Maybe would have put the guy off. So speak to people at their level as Ali ibn Abi Talib anhu. He says, حَدِّثُوا النَّاسَ بِمَا يَعْرِفُونَ أَتُحِبُّونَ أَن يُكَذِّبَ اللَّهِ أَن يُكَذِّبَ اللَّهِ وَرَسُولُهُ that Ali says what? Speak to people according to what they know. Speak to people according to their intellectual level. Do you want people to, do you know, do you want that Allah and His Messenger get denied? So this is a hadith mentioned in Bukhari, and it's a narration specifically from Ali Anhu, and he says what? That talk to people according to their intellect. Why? Because if not, if you talk above their heads, what, what are they going to do? They might say, well then I deny this. Even though they don't understand, it's not the text or it's not the Quran or it's not the Sunnah that has the problem, it's that they have a deficiency within themselves, yet they're not mature enough or ready enough to understand that fact. So subhanAllah ibn Mas'ud, he also says, anhu, he says, إِنَّكَ لَن تُحَدِّثَ قَوْمًا حَدِيثًا لَا تَبْلُغُهُ عُقُولُهُمْ إِلَّا كَانَ لِبَعْضِهِمْ فِتْنَةً You won't speak to a people beyond their comprehension except that it'll be a fitna to some of them. If you ever try to speak to, to above people's Intellect level, and this is what's funny, that some people, they, they want to give a speech with such flowery language and such big words, that by the time everybody walks out, everybody's saying, that guy's a genius, I didn't understand a single word, that was amazing talk, what a lecture, I didn't understand nothing, he's that good, that's not a good thing, that's not balagha, balagha, balagha even the verb balagha itself means to convey, that means true eloquence is to convey the message in the best way possible, whether you want to do that through poetry, whether you want to do that through whatever the case may be, Whatever way gets the message across. If you speak above people's heads, it could be a big fitna and could be a big trial for many people. And so this is, it's very necessary to understand that human nature is such that people reject that which they don't understand. People are basically afraid of the dark, right? If you don't understand something, your first instinct isn't to say, maybe there's a deficiency with me. Your first in instinct is to say, maybe there's a deficiency with the information. And this is unfortunately uh, the human condition. You know, we don't have that uh, humility at, uh, as a default. And so yes, uh, uh, you have to uh, try to work against this, give it a chance, try to uh, work against your instinct and say, maybe I'm the one that has deficiency, let me look into this deeply. This is what the Qur'an teaches us. I've talked about this before, about how Mecki Qur'an, Mecki Qur'an specifically focuses on what? Imaniyat. You find that Mecki Qur'an, the early revelation that was primarily the audience was disbelievers and new Muslims. What was Mecki Qur'an focused around? Faith matters. And then you find that in Madani Qur'an, once the believers are established and once they've been Muslim for a long time and once they've been through a lot of struggle and now they're ready to take on more responsibility, that's when Allah Ta'ala sends Madani Qur'an and the character of Madani Qur'an is what? These surahs have a lot of ahkam, lots of rulings inside of it. So we need to take from, if we're going to really live by this Qur'an, we need to pay attention to these details and apply the, uh, the logical rulings that you can deduce from them. Now, um, it should be mentioned that when it comes to this question of, uh, you know, going to heaven, will I be able to enter paradise? Yes, you will. Sometimes people then, therefore, they hear this and they say to themselves, oh, I see, that Muslims believe that they can enter paradise based on their deeds. And the answer is no, that is not the case. And the clear uh, textual evidence from this is 
the Prophet ﷺ saying what? لَنْ يُدْخِلَ أَحَدُكُمْ عَمَلُهُ الْجَنَّةِ That the Prophet ﷺ says in multiple ahadith, this is just one of them, that your deeds will not make you enter into paradise. And so what does this prove? That yes, your job is to push and to try to do as much good as possible. And yes, your deeds will be examined on Yom Al-Qiyamah. And yes, the angels are writing down your deeds, and there's no doubt about these things. But at the end of the day, what Allah is going to check is whether you have qalbun salim or not, whether you have a pure heart, whether you have a sincere heart, and how much you tried. And nobody can say, I did so many good deeds, and therefore I've earned paradise. How can you possibly earn an eternal paradise? It's eternal. You didn't do an eternal amount of good deeds, right? You can only be entered into paradise, what? By being showered by Allah Ta'ala's mercy. The question is, will you... Get that mercy or not, it depends if you work for it. If you work for it, even with all of your flaws, but you sincerely tried for it, even with all your shortcomings, and you acknowledge your shortcomings, and you said, Ya Allah, I know all my effort was weak. I know that you are so great that whatever I did was, was weak and measly and pathetic. But at the end of the day, Ya Allah, I'm trying my best and I'm sincere towards you. That, inshallah ta'ala, is what is looked at, not necessarily the deeds. It's not like, oh, I checked enough boxes and therefore I've earned paradise. So no, we cannot have this attitude. So with that, inshallah ta'ala, uh, I will close and I will open it up for comments and questions ta'ala. And it's always nice, uh, whoever wants to be first to break the ice, it's always appreciated. May Allah ta'ala make us of those who, at the very least, perform our obligations. May Allah ta'ala make us of those who are consistent with our salawat and with our Ramadan. May Allah ta'ala make us of those who, uh, and then after that, recognize our shortcomings and always strive for more and more and more. Ameen, ya Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.